0: Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. Welcome in to another edition of Mile High Magazine, and I am Murphy Houston, and each Sunday we get together here and bring in information about our community we live in, Denver, the state of Colorado, and what's going on. My guest today is Jim Reiner, Executive Director of Bud's Warehouse, which is under the auspices of Belay Enterprises, and Jim, thanks for coming into Mile High Magazine. Glad to be here. Let's talk about, people may have heard about Bud's Warehouse, maybe not, I'm very excited to talk about it because the work
1: you're doing for people is amazing. Well, let's explain what Belay Enterprises is. Yeah, Belay Enterprises is the uh, nonprofit organization that runs Bud's Warehouse. Um, Belay's mission is to create businesses that employ folks that are rebuilding lives from addiction, homelessness, and prison.
0: You said prison? Yes. Yeah, that's a surprising word, I'm sure, that people don't hear very often. Um, Yeah, yeah. So under Belay Enterprises, you have several other, for lack of a better word, businesses Right, Which we're going to talk about, but the biggest one, the one I've heard about, the one I'm excited about, the one I can't believe you're doing all this great work, is Bud's Warehouse. Yeah. So talk
1: about Bud's Warehouse, and when did it start, and what are you doing? Yeah, well, Bud's Warehouse is a home improvement thrift store that started back in 1995. Um, it was a group of uh, of Business people and urban pastors who saw a need in the community of economic development while they were working with the poor. And so um, Bud's Warehouse was born as a, a business that would employ folks, um, train them, and then help them transition to jobs in the community. So what kind of folks are we talking about? Um, we're talking about folks with serious barriers to employability, um, people who can't get a job because either they had problems with the law in the past or are just recovering from addiction. Or um, our biggest factor is folks that are experiencing homelessness and are transitioning into self-sufficiency. And how, how do you find these folks? Do you work
0: with other organizations to kind of attract that kind of a talent your to Bud's Warehouse?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We work with um, other organizations like Providence Network. Open Door Fellowship, um, Mile High Ministries. We um, um, love working with other organizations who provide transitional housing assistance, and then we provide the employment piece, and then it helps people get sufficient quicker and more easily.
0: Well, I'm pretty familiar with the Providence Network. I know they do a lot of good work with young people and the like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also uh, Mile High Ministries, which is another good organization. They're
1: all great ones. Yeah, they really are. So you said you started with pastors. Is it kind of a Christian-based? Yeah, we are absolutely a faith-based organization. Um, We, um, you know, are primarily training people in the soft skills of work, how to get back to work, how to, you know, those habits that many people learn from their parents on how to be good employees. Um, But then we also include a spiritual piece about learning how to uh, um, um, do the things that you need to do to be successful, especially with addictions and other barriers to employability. That's got to be an incredible challenge. Yeah, it's um, it can be um, a challenging, but it also can be incredibly rewarding because, uh, you know, our, our program uh, generally has about a 60% success rate of folks that have been in the program for at least a month are able to transition into work, and that's um, very um, high compared to other organizations, and we believe the reason for it is also because of our faith training part. So
0: uh, faith, I'm sure, is a big part of that. Yeah. So the people that come in for the jobs – Who's training them? What what is what is their
1: background? Are they counselors or they're just yeah. volunteers? What are they? Yeah, we're a, a bit unique in that many of our managers and other um, higher people in our organization have actually come through the program themselves. Oh, so um, we have folks from the program who are are doing some of the training, and then we also have other trained. Um, people that we've hired that help with the job readiness stuff.
0: So how long does the average person stay employed before they go out on their own? You say 60% success rate, which is pretty darn high. Yeah. So how long does that take?
1: Um, We have a six-month program. So people come into the program and they work with us and go through our job readiness training program. And then at the end of six months, we help them transition into jobs in the community. And uh, we're able to take someone who's not working into jobs that pay pay, 15 to 20 bucks an hour after they complete our program so
0: and they're also paid while working with buds warehouse yeah absolutely it's a paid um, training program. so they are learning right from there how it how it should be
1: exactly so great and
0: again buds warehouse deals with did you say like home
1: remodeling what what yeah. is it
0: what are the contents yeah it's a <laughs>
1: it's you know it's in a fantastic place and if you're into remodeling your home and doing it inexpensively so we get um you know we're I, I joke that we're the Home Depot of thrift stores. We get um, um, all sorts of building materials, home improvement items. It's a home hobbyist heaven. So lots of good stuff for your home and very affordable. Well, where do we find it? Um, We're located at um, Mississippi and 225 in Aurora. That's got to be a fairly big building there. Yeah, we um, were uh, able to move into a new Uh, 30,000 square foot building about two years ago. And it's uh, we're uh, we've had a habit of moving every 10 years or so. And we're uh, we we now are in our own building and aren't planning on moving anytime soon. And it's just a a fantastic retail environment compared to our old. Well, how big is
0: it? I mean, you uh, got all these resources in there.
1: Yeah, yeah the whole building is fifty thousand, but we use thirty thousand for our home improvement thrift store. Is there signage out front? Yeah, you know, it says, says Bud's Warehouse. Yeah, it says very nice, bright, well lit sign says Bud's Warehouse. So. so, why do you employ people rebuilding their lives? What's what's the bottom line to that? You know, um, I love to share a story about a friend named Ed, who is one of our all-time stars at the program. He um, he came in from homelessness about. Um, 15 years ago. And I, I met him at a homeless shelter during lunch one day. And he came up to me and said, Hey, uh, I hear you run Bud's warehouse. Um, I'm a janitor and I'm the best janitor you'll ever have. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, we didn't really need a janitor at the time, but I went ahead and hired him into our program. And, um, Ed was just, uh, has, was just such a gem for the time he was with us. And there's a few things you need to know about Ed. Um, Ed, Um, did deal with some mental illness issues, which had led to his homelessness. And then Ed also had a tricycle adult bike that he just loved and he um he drove all around town on that bicycle and people kind of knew him by that bike. A big tricycle. Yeah a big wow. tricycle. I don't it think I a... ever saw Ed anywhere around <laughs> yeah. town. It was fantastic. So and uh, there was a season where Ed um had a flat tire and wasn't riding it anymore. So every holiday season we had a um a Christmas gift giving thing and one of our managers bought him new tires for his bike and we presented the gift to him and he um opened it up and was just uh, you know almost broke out into tears because he Aww. had this new um tire for his bike but then this look of concern came over his face and i you know i said ed don't worry if it doesn't fit we'll make sure that we get Tires that fit for the bike, and then he looked at us and said, "Or I could get a new bike." <laughs> and I, uh, wow! I uh, I love that story because he was willing. He was just so amazed he got this gift, and so thankful that he was willing to change his whole bike in order to accommodate the gifts. And that same um, um, willingness to change um, from a gift is what we've seen over and over again with our participants in the program. So, the the gift of the job has a real power to to transform lives and, and change. That's them a great story. What's Ed doing now? Um, Ed is actually um, he's uh, in his late sixties, so he's um, I think he's pretty much transitioning to to retirement. So. Well, good for him. <laughs> yeah, good for yeah. him. Is there any age? You bring that age up. Does it matter how old? Do you you employ know, some of these people? I'm um, generally at um, Bud's Warehouse. We employ eighteen and older. Um, we do have some other programs that work a little bit younger, but
0: and uh, it's men and women.
1: Yep, men and women. So,
0: so. highly acceptable. What about ex offenders? It's good that you're reaching out to these men yeah. and women that get out of prison and what's next for them, and you're helping make that transition. Yeah. So why that? Why ex offenders?
1: Yeah, you know I um. I often call um, ex-offenders kind of the catch-22 of what we do. Um, Basically, um, research uh, back in 1996, the um, Department of Corrections did a study here in Colorado about the factors that were most important for um, reducing people returning to prison when they were released. And the uh, highest factor was whether a person can get and keep a job. And that, you know, when some people are employed, it's less likely that they're going to go back to, to jail. And uh, um, the reality is it costs the state of Colorado fifty about $50,000 a year to incarcerate somebody. So there's a real... Yeah. Tax dollars. Yeah, there's yeah. a real um, interest in reducing the returns to, to jail. Um, but, you know, there is a... Um, it is hard for someone with a felony conviction to get a job and... Um, we hire people with felony convictions, train them, and then we found over the years that many employers are willing to be the second employer of someone with the ex an ex-offender as long as we set the ground and show them successful for the first part. So. And
0: how's your success rate with ex-offenders?
1: Yeah, I mean, they um, are actually more successful than other people in our program. Um, we found them to be um, very excited to work and very much wanting to not return to jail which is a
0: good thing so. well you'd hope that would make sense yes nobody wants to go back i'm sure yeah, yeah. that's crazy and what about youth homelessness which is a real problem in our community and you talked about providence network and i know they yeah. kind of deal with that
1: yeah 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 um we have a pro uh, a business called um dry uh, Purple Door Coffee House that we helped start about five years ago. And we partnered with an organization called Dry Bones Denver, which um, is a um, youth homelessness outreach program here in the area. They um, identify people living on the street, develop relationships with those folks, and then help to um, transition them into, you know, care and and support and services, Um, they estimate over the last year that there are approximately 600 to 1,200 youth aged um, 14 to 25 living on the streets. That's incredible to think about that. Yes. Um, Our um, Purple Door Coffee House was started to help employ those folks because um, we found that, um, you know, youth homelessness is one of the more difficult um, areas to serve um, it's you know you're working with folks without any parents who um, have no other type of support services who um, are not um, very employable and our our purple door coffee house has created an environment where they can come in and work and, and get training
0: so, this purple Door coffee house do they
1: transition to something else after that do yeah, they buds warehouse or yep. a real job someplace yes it's very similar to on um, the buds warehouse model where they come in work for a year with them and then help transition out into other jobs in the community um the coffee house also has a roasting operation too where oh really um, yeah they have a warehouse that um roasts high end coffee and um, and so it's a pretty extensive training program and then they sell that coffee yep at the coffee house, yeah, or online and, and other. Um, it's sold to a lot of businesses around Denver too.
0: So. Well, how, what's what's the online address? We yeah, should, it's, let's uh, spread the
1: word. Uh, yeah, I would Google Purple Door Coffee House, and, uh, and that's it. Available. Yep, I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. They have different kinds of beans they deal with, or is it a basic amount? Yeah, or? no, it's it's definitely high end, um, you know, beans. So it's um, for. Um, third-wave coffee aficionados who, <laughs> want, um, who want a uh, high-quality bean with full-on flavor and taste and stuff. And so. the money stays with what you guys are doing yeah. at uh, Belay Enterprises? Um, yeah, actually, Purple Door Coffee House is a standalone organization right now, okay. and all the support for them helps to grow and employ people rebuilding lives from homelessness. So. Well, we're talking
0: with Jim Reiner, Executive Director of Bud's Warehouse, part of Belay Enterprises, and I know there's more to Belay Enterprises than just... Bud's Warehouse, you have like, did you tell me four other businesses? Is, is that yeah.
1: Purple Coffee House thing? Is that one of them? Yeah, Purple Door Coffee House is one of them. Um, about 15 years ago, we um, saw a need to serve um, um, women transitioning from homelessness and from the streets. And uh, so we started a project called Baby Bud's, which is a uh, was a store that um, sold baby goods and worked with um, single mothers transitioning off the streets. A few years later, we started another business called Freedom Cleaning Services, which was a commercial cleaning company that also worked with single mothers. Um, both of those entities were um, spun off into their own organization a few years ago, and they are now known as Second Chances Denver, and they also um, continue to clean and be a commercial cleaning type company. No, so,
0: when you say commercial cleaning, that's businesses. Um, yes. Not not homes.
1: Yeah, they do businesses, churches, other commercial type entities. Um, and there's more than that, even? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, f- a few years later, we started an organization called Good Neighbor Garage, which is a, uh, um, you know, one of the biggest factors to um, whether you can get a keep a job in Denver is whether you have transportation. And we noticed that um, there was a need for um, people coming out of our programs to have dependable cars, so we um, started this um, Good Neighbor Garage, which received donated cars, um, fixed them up in a mechanic training program, and then provided them for a low fee to um, um, people in our program who who needed cars to get to employment. So, and what's that? What's called? What's that? It's visit? called Good Neighbor Garage. Where is it? Um, they're out in Wheat Ridge, and they are still running strong, and uh, they. Um, primarily serve um women in the Lakewood area right now, but um, great resource for um donating vehicles.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, can people just give a car?, here? yeah, yeah take my old car and give it to somebody that really needs it. Absolutely. That's exactly
1: what they're all about. So.
0: That's a great that's a great way to donate.
1: Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, great. So anything else coming up? I mean, are you working on something else?
1: Well, we um we've had a um cabinet manufacturing business for the last 7 years called New Beginnings Custom Woodworks, and we are um transitioning that into a deconstruction type service. So we um you know, work with folks that are remodeling their homes who um want to recycle the materials that are in the home, whether it's the uh the cabinets, the um, appliances, other um, trim—you know, uh, other good items that really shouldn't go in the in the trash—we'll um, come in and, and pick those items up and then um, recycle them. And then it also helps us employ more people. So.
0: Well, gosh, there's a lot of people remodeling their homes. I know in my neighborhood it looks like there's dumpsters on every corner. Yeah, and they're throwing stuff in there that they could probably be
1: donating. Absolutely. Um we. Um, you know, I already mentioned this, but we absolutely love cabinet sets. So it it, it actually makes me ache when I see <laughs> uh, cabinet sets in dumpsters because okay. uh, um they um they have just real value to the community and they help support our program and, and they're just they're really good. So, so how do we get a hold of them? Yeah. Um, if you have materials that you are considering donating to us um you can call us at 303-296-3990 or you can um, um uh, email us at, at donation at buds warehouse.org wow that you guys are covering all the bases yeah i like that <laughs> so what are your challenges what jim what, what's
0: really a hard hurdle for you guys
1: yeah you know um the economy right now has been sort of a, a good news bad news type situation for us um, um, the economy is really humming and there's lots of demand for employees so there's um just uh, and that's a good thing and there's lots of fantastic jobs out there so we're um, finding it really easy to transition our people into jobs in the community that are paying really well um, but we're finding that um, a lot of the people that we've traditionally served or um, people in our program are jumping into these jobs very early and very quickly um, which um, means they haven't put into play the foundation they need to be successful long term and a lot of the employers are also um, not necessarily resourced to give them the support that they need to be successful on the job
0: well they're probably not they're not trained or they don't know the situation it's more or less you coming in here do your job or don't
1: yes so we're um we're seeing a lot of churn and and retention issues for people that in the community that we serve so um so we're um We're always looking for great candidates for our job training program um, who, uh, you know, have the barriers to employability, who also are wanting to be in the program for, you know, four to six months uh, with the promise that they can transition into really great jobs in the community and then also be, um, you know, successful on the job in the long run.
0: Important stuff. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, and this seems to be a topic every time I talk about anything in Denver is the cost of housing. How do these People you're working with find housing.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the second biggest problem that we're facing right now is that housing costs are rising faster than wages are growing, especially for lower income people in the community. And so we've had some situations recently where people in our program have faced homelessness because um, their current living arrangements were, you know, Doubling in price yeah. and other factors like that. So we um, we partner with other organizations that provide housing and um, um, uh, other programs that they can also participate in. And then we have some other um, kind people that have um, low cost um, apartments for folks um, in our program, um, but I, I have to admit it's still a huge challenge, and it, um, it it really breaks my heart how much people are struggling with housing in our community right now. And it's something the community needs to step up and start coming up with solutions to affordability for, especially for low income people.
0: Oh, it's really really difficult indeed. Yeah. How about when? These folks are working with you and they're making the transition. Where do they stay then? Do they stay in shelters or do they have housing or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean most of our people are in transitional housing programs like Providence Network, Open Door, other organizations like that. Um, um you know, the folks in our purple door coffee house program are usually through dry bones program and other housing situations. Um, We do um, have some people that are living with family, living in other apartments and and stuff like that. We've actually had a few people who have been homeless working for us recently too. And, you know, we make that a big priority to help them find housing. Quickly so. Or a shelter of a some shelter, kind. Because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's a
0: lot of shelters around Denver where you yep. can find some housing. Yep. I mean, it's yep. probably not so bad this time of year. we got some good weather. But, boy, in the wintertime, yeah. it's got to be a crisis situation. Yeah,
1: Denver's a tough place to live, homelessness in the winter. Oh,
0: so. yeah, it, it can be really bad. I was wondering, what about technology? You train these folks that are eager to learn new jobs and they get in a position, but like so many of us, technology kind of takes their job away or it could have a possibility yeah. of having that happen. How do you handle that, or is that even an issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's also, I I think that's the final issue that really um, concerns me about the future is that, um, you know, uh, we're training people for jobs that are actually disappearing in the future. So we um, need to start upping our game on terms of how to um, get people ready for the jobs of the future. Um, You know, most of our program is about soft skills of employment, learning how to show up for work on time, how to, uh, you know, answer the phone, um, communicate with their coworkers and with clients and customers. And, And employers show that is what they really look for when they hire people. But um You know, we're facing a time in the future where what happens when all the truck drivers are sent home because of the fact that they're self driving trucks? I mean, all these um, technology things that are coming down the pike in 10 to 20 years. So we're, um, you know, brainstorming ways to get people job ready for a future where technology is increasingly going to become a part of it. Well, and it changes
0: all the time. Absolutely. I mean, look at our business, the radio business. Oh, my goodness gracious, it yeah. changes literally month to month. It seems like, and to keep up with that, how about social networking? Is it important for them to learn how to run computers and and be part of social networking, which is such a big part of our society today?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we um, part of our program. We have a inventory system that um, where we price and inventory all our materials, and we train everybody on how to run that. Um, help them get. You know, email addresses, learn how to use a computer, stuff like that. And, you know, those are really good skills to have for the future. Well, that's something that will never go away. No. You know computer technology. Yes. And how about
0: social skills and interacting with other people? You know, sometimes you're used to being by yourself or if you've been homeless, you're kind of yep. just self-withdrawn. How do you work on breaking that down so they can get along with other people? Because that's going to be such a big part of them getting employed.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of Bud's Warehouse. Um, There's no hiding out from other people. I mean, we're a a public business that um, has customers, and we've um, been very intentional about building a uh, a community of generosity and of caring within our place so that, you know, new people are very warmly welcomed and brought into the program. And then they have to work with people in the public. And, uh, and, you know, some of them are a little hesitant at first, but over time it becomes a a really great training ground for learning how to work with other people. So, and very important.
0: Are there certain organizations that are go-to organizations for you as far as hiring some big, let's, let's just say Walmart. Yeah. Can you, can you depend on an organization with the right people that will always be there for Buds Warehouse?
1: Yeah, I mean, we um, you know, we've definitely worked with Walmart, um with um Lowe's, you know, some of these other employers. Um we um have a partnership right now with an organization called Activate Workforce Systems, which is a uh, um, kind of a next step for many of our people, and they um they have relationships with um lots of companies throughout Denver who have um high-quality manufacturing jobs or other types of of jobs that pay really well and activate takes our people um, runs them through a um, a series of assessments and then helps place them into these jobs where there's going to be training and future economic growth over time so
0: do you see any of them ever come back for more training Do, do you allow that
1: yeah, we um we do allow people to come back. Um occasionally there are bumps and Well, uh, sure, there's going to be. And people um need some more time with us. Um, but uh you know generally especially right now people are finding success and being able to move forward with their careers so
0: well as you said earlier i think uh, the good economy is probably helping you guys
1: yeah i mean i've been at this a long time almost 19 years and the last two years has been the best economy i've ever seen with the people that we've served here so and,
0: and is it is is it outside of denver or is it just metro denver you de- deal with the state or the springs yeah. fort collins delta wherever
1: yeah, no we've been um focused mainly on metro denver over the years and and uh and that's uh um you know, we'll uh, in terms of building materials being donated to us, we um we pretty much stay between um uh, castle rock and we'll go north to longmont sometimes but that's kind of the area we serve
0: so you do a lot of the picking up for buds warehouse if somebody calls and says, you know i got a bunch of stuff here for you yeah you, you
1: go get it yeah no we have a, tr- a fleet of trucks that will go get stuff and and uh, great drivers and all this good stuff so. are the
0: drivers some of the employed there i mean yeah. you have to train them to drive right? yep yep yeah.
1: no everybody's come up through our program and it's you know it's a great thing
0: do you, well do you have uh, are you in need of Uh, volunteers or or mentors with Bud's Bearhouse. If people are going, hey, I'd like to help with that organization. How how do I get involved?
1: Yeah, we're always looking for high-quality mentors, people who um, can come in and help us with various aspects of our organization or or partner with the people in our program. Um, We have a um, new project called the Belay Venture Partners Program where we're um, helping to um, – we've identified emerging entrepreneurs either through our our own program or are in the community um, who are doing businesses that will employ folks in our program. And so we're, we're looking for people that might want to mentor these businesses also. And, uh, and, you know, if you have a heart for the community that we're serving, um, we have some great opportunities to, to help out. How do they reach
0: out to us? You guys have a website or Yeah,
1: yeah, you, know? you can you can check out our website at um budswarehouse.org or you can visit our belay website at belay.org to learn more about us. So, can you shop on that website? Do you have to, this is the stuff we
0: have available you, if you're interested. You
1: know, if you um you we do on our budswarehouse.org, we focus every day on new product that's coming in, um but the action really is on Facebook and Instagram. If you um we post pictures and uh show new items that are arriving every day and uh you have to get in quick because our things are very popular. Oh, so, I bet they are. Yeah. And they're
0: probably priced very reasonable.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, um we price everything 30 to 70% off retail. And, uh, um, you know, there's, you know, we get more new stuff than used stuff. Um, because the, um, the secret of the home building industry is, is that they tend to over order stuff in case there's problems. Very true. And, and so they have warehouses of extra stuff, which end up finding their way to us over time. And, uh, and those items sell very, very quickly. So,
0: so, so talk, how do we hook up to your Facebook page? I'm going to do it when we get done here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just um, you can you can find us at, you know as Bud's Warehouse on Facebook. And so, that's pretty easy. Yeah.
0: And I suppose you could always use a donation or two, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, you know, we are always looking for for contributions, uh, mainly to help us support as we grow new operations and new ventures. And and, and work towards the future of employing people that we serve.
0: And uh, do you, uh, is there a limited amount that you employ? Are you only, a, I mean, only have room for so many?
1: Um, yeah, we are, um, you know, we are limited on the amount of people that we can employ. Um, but like I said earlier, we are, Are you know, it's a great economy right now. So we are always looking for good candidates to fill in with the people that are transitioning out of our program. Um, but our dream is to, um you know, grow our organization in the next couple of years. We, um, we had to move out of Denver two years ago because of the uh, um, real estate prices and a looming I-70 construction project in front of our building. Wow. So we moved into Aurora with our current building and um, we'd like to open up a second location at some point in the future on the West side of town so that we can serve people over there. So.
0: Well, but people are willing to drive though if you've got the good merchandise oh, yeah.
1: you're telling me about. That's no issue. Yeah, no, it's it's not hard to get to us. So, and we're really not that much further from where we were before. So, do you have bathroom stuff? I'm thinking of remodeling my kid, my bathroom. Yeah, we get um great bathroom vanities, um um good sinks. Um uh you know, we're having a contest right now on Facebook where people are posting pictures of projects they've done over the last year with our stuff and they're uh, um, we're gonna pick the favorite, and I know one of them that we're looking right now is a bathroom remodel that's just absolutely beautiful. And the person used, you know, wood flooring from us, all sorts of stuff, and, and just really did a great job. What's the prize? Yeah, the prize is a hundred dollar gift card. So gotta have that, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You can buy more stuff at Bud's. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing a great job, Jim Reiner, Executive Director of Bud's Warehouse Belay Enterprises. Part of that. Uh, And again, where is Bud's Warehouse for people
1: that might just tune in and say, where where is this place? Yeah, we're at um, Mississippi and 225. We're about two blocks um, west of Mississippi on the north side of the street from, I mean, I'm sorry, let me say that again. We're two blocks west of 225 on the north side of Mississippi in a uh, big 50,000-square-foot warehouse. Can't so miss it. No, can't. can't miss it. You have, like, loading docks and everything. You can't miss it. Yeah, yeah. You are uh, you you see our sign there, and it's a good location. So,
0: Well, if you can help out, again, give us the website. Do you have the website? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's budswarehouse.org, or you can visit our belay.org to learn about our bigger organization.
0: Appreciate you coming in today, Jim. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, well, and, and pat on the back to you and everybody over at Belay for all the good work you're doing to help people. Of all walks of life, it seems like right now. Well, great. Thank you. Well, come back soon and visit us. Sounds good. You do the same thing. Appreciate you listening to Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston. We'll talk to you next week. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan.
2: Do not grow up to be a starving artist is something many creative kids have heard from their parents. And some of us creative parents have said to our kids. Currently being held at the Denver Center for Performing Arts is a day-long, week-long performing arts day camp for youth. This DCPA Performing Arts Day Camp is not the only event like it for youth being conducted during the summer. Visual arts and dance camps have also been held. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. With K-12 schools cutting art-related education years ago, training creative kids, developing their talent, and valuing a future advocation in arts-related professions continues to be a challenge for parents. Now, semi-retired artist, so to speak, Bob Ragland, once teaching in Denver Public Schools and teaching art on public television, has a keen insight for parents on how to develop their kids and their creative talent. He joins us for this edition.
3: We are socialized in America to believe that artists can't make a living if you're making paintings, or you're a jeweler, or you're a potter, or you're a photographer, when that's a wrong idea. It's really wrong-headed. What's the one thing that's made you successful? Oh, perseverance more than anything else. And then secondly, knowing people like the people that I knew who did this before I did Jacob Lawrence, who happens to have a painting in the white house art collection that they never talk about. Uh, Gordon parks is a guy, a man photographer. I read his, his book called a choice of weapons. When I first started out, I was working in the post office and I'd read all these books on the bus going to, you know, to go <laughs> yeah. to work. And yeah. I'd read, I'd read Studs Terkel's book called working to find out what people thought about the kind of work that they did. Mm-hmm. But it was the perseverance and have an encouragement in a home setting, too, to have parents that said, oh, that's a nice drawing. I could draw Batman in, in profile. We're talking about a lot of years ago. And, yes. and, and so i do that, and I could draw Dick Tracy in profile perfectly from memory because I read a lot of comic books. Mm-hmm. So you'd show that to your parents, and they'd say, oh, that's nice. Do some more. Do some more. Do some more. Do some more. And then when I got to school, to high school, there was a teacher I had. Her name was Mrs. Kent. And Mrs. Kent would let us bring LPs in those days. LPs, Vitals, LPs, play, man. Vinyls, yes. We'd bring Miles <laughs> Davis to school and listen to Miles, man. <laughs> Here I am, 14, 15 years old, listening to Miles, right? Mm-hmm. And, and listening to all of the jazz, uh, players, you know. But she was encouraging in the classroom. Mrs. Kent was always encouraging to us. And, uh, this is many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. But, there was another thing that we used to do: is go to vacation Bible school. Your parents would get you out of the house in the summertime, just get you out of their way, right. so you, you know, for a couple of hours. You guys go down to the go over there to the church and go to the vacation Bible school for an hour and a half, a couple of hours, and we'd have graham crackers and milk, and we could draw and do stuff. And the teachers there would encourage you. They say, "Oh, that's pretty good. Do that. Do some more. Do some more." So, it was that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I I find it very. Interesting, and people really need need to take note of. The first thing you didn't start with was talent. You said perseverance.
3: Perseverance, exactly. That means you
2: really exactly. wanted to do it and be it,
3: and learn the craft. Right. Because if you learn the talent is highly overrated. Because what happens is, if you can learn the craft of something, you can produce something that people would like to have. Right. That doesn't always take this this huge amount of huge amount of talent. You just have to put in, like Malcolm Gladwell says, the 10,000 hours. I put in the time behind the brush. I still do. But I also learned early out of art school, the first thing I learned was how you do the business of art. You know, how do you get that first gig? How do you get that first sale? Or how do you heat and eat and keep yourself going (laughs) while you try to be this artist, you know? And little by little, if you meet the right people, just by walking around doing your outreach, you're going to meet people that say, well, I did this, this, and this. I tell students right now, you have to ask at least two things when you're starting out, no that's matter right. what the profession is. Find somebody that's working at it at least half-time, if not half-time, full-time, three-quarters of times. Ask them how they got their first gig, and they're going to say, well, I did this, 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 and this. Or I knew so-and-so and so-and-so who put me on the so-and-so and so-and-so. Then the second question is, when did you know you could make a living doing this? Whatever it is. And in art, Mm -hmm. I've done everything. Instruction, and I I was a a commercial artist for a couple years, and uh, did art fairs, and and I've showed my work everywhere, just about everywhere you can think of.
2: One of the things that you talked about was the inspiration you received from the educator when you were in school. Right. All right, And with the emphasis on science and math and that kind of thing and crushing arts out, then there's not that uh, additional field or people that can help inspire the youngsters. Mm -hmm. Do we need to to really take a second look at education and start putting that back in? Because art also leads to creativity, and when people get in business, that's how they think their way through it. Without
3: that, we're done. There has to be an emphasis, and I think the charter schools do it. I think the private schools do it, but I think public schools have a real problem. They have an art, a whole contingent of art instructors, but somehow it gets pushed back and it gets put on the back burner, this whole thing about a fine art career, because right now there's the emphasis on graphic arts, which is the computer. Now, if you have a strong leadership in the art world, in schools or in education, you're going to get a strong. A, a, a large number of uh, young people who might say, "Well, you know, maybe there is a possibility that I can be an artist." Yeah, yeah. But you got to have that ha- happen all the time. Yeah,
2: I was just thinking of arts as creative thinking.
3: Yeah, arts as creative thinking, which yeah. can
2: be applied anywhere in science and every
3: place. Yeah, else. and it's interdisciplinary because right. it's all problem solving. You know, I got to make a picture. I got to figure out well, what colors do I want to make and How do I mix the colors? And what size do I make the painting? And and how do I compose it? So all of that's part of it. So you do the mm-hmm. same thing in your everyday life about how you're gonna get from point A to point B. You gotta be pretty creative and you gotta be interested in, in problem solving to get all that to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's all relative. And they say in some studies that they have found that students who are interested in the in the arts usually do well in the other areas academically.
2: What can parents do to at least if not so much make creative artists out of their children, but at least expose them to expose it. them to it.
3: one of the things that I have come up with. And this is an interesting idea, I think, and it's not a new one. When I first started to be an artist, I would get calls once in a while from a school that would say, Through somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody, they'd talk to the principal and say, you know, there's uh, this artist whose name is Bob Ragland, and he's an artist, and I've seen stories on him and his write-ups. And Mm -hmm. maybe we can get him to come in and talk to an art class or do a painting demo or a lecture demo and talk about the life of an artist. Right. So what parents can do is try to find somebody who really does this at least half-time the full-time, offer them an honorarium. And 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 ask them if they would come in and and do a lecture demo and also do a Q and A with mm-hmm. the kids. Yeah. Because everything around them started out with a drawing, which mm-hmm. is what people. I don't get, you know, when people uh, discontinue programs, you say, well, geez, you know. Everything around you, those cell phones that the kids are glued to and iPods and all that stuff, industrial designers made a drawing of that thing. It wasn't all done on the computer. It started out as a sketch. Right. Buildings started out as a sketch. Architects, you know, uh, they'd have an idea and they'd make this quick shorthand sketch and then they'd hand it over to somebody that would make it more realistically uh, uh, available to people. Parents have to get out of the habit of thinking that their children... (laughs) <laughs> going to starve if they become artists. They have to say, you got to, You know, here's the art part, here's the business part. Robert Redford was on the other day on one of the television stations, and he's going to do this Sundance contingent in France. And the guy, the yeah. interviewer said, why well, are you going to do this in France? He says, well, I spent a year here. He said, I originally started out to be a painter rather than an actor. And he said, somebody made me feel that painting and drawing was not important, so I shifted over to acting. So that's kind of remarkable to hear that, or notable to hear him say that.
2: Yeah. You mentioned that the president has a, a Jacob Lawrence. A Jacob Lawrence, yeah. A Jacob Lawrence there. And if people don't know who Jacob Lawrence is, he was a, an African-American artist in the 20s, in the Renaissance period. Uh, well, all, yeah, right. from the
3: Renaissance all the way to he passed away not long ago. I don't mm-hmm. know the exact – Not but he was 83 years old when he passed away. Yeah, yeah. And and I'd say within 10 years.
2: Mm-hmm. He's one of the real masters. Of
3: well, that. Not only that, he was a superstar artist when he was twenty-four years old. He mm-hmm. was in the Coast Guard, and there was an officer that knew that he had this ability to make pictures. Right, and the the they assigned him to do nothing but make paintings while he was in the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Right now, the, the and, and you can find this on you can find this on the web that the Jacob Lawrence painting, as I understand it, is probably the most expensive work of art they've ever purchased for the. White House art collection. I've actually gone on the web and gotten in touch with the curator there. Yeah. And it's in the green room is where this painting is. And uh, Laura Bush somehow saw uh, Jacob Lawrence's work because there was a work on loan. And she told the Historical Society in the White House that I think we ought to acquire work by this artist because... Right now, they have less than 10 works by black American art makers in the White House collection. Out of all of those hundreds of art art, uh, objects they have, paintings, they only have, they have less than 10 works by people who happen to be black. Now, all that needs to happen in the visual arts, because right now, when they cover the arts, people think that's the performing arts. They think singing and dancing. Well, you know, we did all that singing and dancing stuff. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we need to have somebody look at our drawings. You know, it's really important to be able to do that. And when you think that at one time you worked under the the threat of 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 death if you were a, ba- a black about reading, if you learned to read or draw or write, you had a problem. Eventually, that loosened up, and I'm talking about the era of slavery. Right. So what ha- what happens is by the time you got on this whole, this uh, started to develop the discipline, you were so far behind that, y- you know, you're struggling to catch up, and mm-hmm. we still are. Yeah. And it's a matter of education. It's a matter of the right people saying, Find an artist in your community, and I'm going to say this this way, who happens to be a black American art maker and buy something from them on a regular basis. Don't get into this thing, well, I done bought one. (laughs) And they see you 30 years later and say, oh, yeah, I bought one of those from you about 30 years ago. And you say, well, well, I'm glad I could live on that all that time.
2: (laughs) Well, I (laughs)
3: <laughs> it's all
2: about education, man. You have a lot of people in town that go on the art walks. They go, go on the art walks. Uh, First Fridays, they call them. First them. Friday, yeah. down on Santa Fe. Right. And talking to, with some of them, they're saying, oh, well, I understand art. I go on the art walks. And
3: I say, well, well maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. not. Yeah, that's you kind know. of surface. You know. It's really surface. Really? Because if you're going to know about art, you need to have some idea about what the intent of the artist is if you know somebody who who makes art one of a kind you uh-huh. need to be able to talk to them and find out what they think and how they feel and why they feel compelled to, to do this and when you know all of these paintings have been made already right. and you get to thinking to yourself well does the world need another painting but what <laughs> happens is you get obsessed you get possessed and you say yeah i guess it does i'm making this anyway so i've always i've always made the art no matter what happens but back to the art walk idea that's th- I don't necessarily like art walks very much because what happens is people go on the art walks and they kind of style and profile. It's a party, especially in there's one area in town where people show up and they they got traffic jams. Right. But no one's buying any work. And you go and you look through the galleries, you see works of art for $50. For $50 to start. I'll say on Santa Fe Drive, you can go Uh to Chalk. Right. The, the, uh, Chicano Humanities Organization, Arts, mm-hmm. and, and you go in there and you walk in there and you can buy something for $35, handmade, one of a kind, and go all the way up to probably a couple thousand dollars. All right. So when people go on art walks, it's a party more than anything else. I don't do them. In the early days, I went just to see what they were like.
2: A native of Cleveland, Ohio, the military relocated Bob Raglan to Colorado. His initial business card stating, I want your walls, I want your walls, became reality for numerous families. By the mid-70s, a Raglan artwork hung on many walls in Denver. Also the first artist with a teaching program on public television in the state.
3: First guy ever. I'm sorry. No, 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 I don't mean it that way. I was number one, man. And the reason I say that with such emphasis is they erased all my shows. I made 65 programs. Here's how you paint a rock. (laughs) Here's how you paint a tree. And I went slow enough. So every, I tried to make everybody think they could do it Mm -hmm. if they watched it. And I had people to tell me, I don't paint a draw, but you make me think I can do that. And I tried to do that. I tried to develop a method of instruction. So, and I it wasn't talking down to people. I said, you know, just try this. It takes practice. That's all. Mm-hmm. It takes you learn how to take this shape and put that shape to it and do that. And I would go slow enough so they could do it. Mm-hmm. I went to cable, and the cable people. They ran a series and then eventually uh-huh. a lot of that got lost. Uh, there was a drawing show on re- recently uh-huh. that people would tell me they, they would see. The kids at school say, Didn't I see you on television? I said, You may have. Was a show called Drawing Conclusions? They said, Yeah. I said, well, You have cable, right? And they say, Yeah. I said, Well, that's where it is. And yeah. they kept running this drawing show.
2: Graphic arts, when you were talking about that, we can probably key graphic arts to every era of America. Especially politics and that kind of thing. Did you you ever do any political art?
3: Uh, I used to do cartoons for a newspaper here in town, and I, if you want to, that would be a graphic kind of thing. I was interested in cartooning years and years ago, and there was a there was a newspaper called the Denver Blade at one time, and i I used to do a cartoon for them every now and then. I Mm -hmm. make some sort of commentary about something. Yeah. And I think I have a few of those around. An
2: artist really needs to not only do the work of the art, but also look beyond and see what everybody else is doing, and be and look for inspiration all the time. All sorts of
3: sources and places. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Information's free. If you can't be rich in money, you can be rich in data. If you can't be rich and if you can't be wealthy in money. You get wealth in data. And the thing about information is that it's there for you. That's the beautiful part of libraries. Mm -hmm. I've always loved libraries and museums. When I was a very young guy 12, 13, 14 years old, living in Cleveland, Ohio, I used to go to the Cleveland Museum of Art. Mm -hmm. And I'd walk through and look, you know, and say, man, I wonder how that happened, how they made that, or Mm -hmm. how, you know, that kind of thing.
2: And then something like the Cherry Creek Arts Festival and that kind Uh, of
3: thing. Yeah, and there are 10,000 of those arts festivals like that. In the United States, every year. Yeah. There are artists out there making art all the time, day Mm -hmm. and night, making art, making art. And a lot, many of them finding markets for the work. The Cherokee Arts Festival, at one time, they don't do the reports anymore the way they used to, but in the paper, they'd report after the thing was over a couple months later. They'd come out on the weekend, some of those artists, and they'd make $10,000, not more. But anyway, (laughs) uh, I don't do the gallery thing anymore because One of the main reasons is, and I didn't say this, and I'm I'm going to say it now, people have to realize that they can buy art on the installment plan, Mm because that's a big thing with me. And when galleries don't post that information in the gallery, where somebody can see it without asking, they're doing a disservice to the artist, because the gallery wouldn't exist without the inventory, and -hmm. they're doing a disservice to themselves as a business, because at the end of the month... There's no income and revenue, right? So I don't show in galleries because galleries, many of them won't do that. What's the stupidest
2: thing a person looking at art or looking at your artist said to you from the uh, us people who try to go out and buy stuff?
3: I, I and, and, and think
2: we know what we're looking at. And I you can't. said, what you know, did you say to me? <laughs>
3: no, I haven't. I haven't had it happen to me, but I know somebody that paint. I was at an exhibition one time and I heard somebody ask the man or ask the artist, it was a male artist, uh, have you spent a lot of time in jail? Because the, cause the artist was doing windows with bars on them and liked to paint rocks and the texture, that kind of stuff. And that's what they asked him. Really? And so, oh, yeah. And I thought, boy, well, that's a different take because everybody brings their own thing to it. So so
2: what is the one thing somebody looking and shopping at art should not say to an artist
3: Uh consumer not say? Well, oh, I can't think of anything that's specific. I'll tell you one thing that somebody told me once. Why should I buy something from you when I can inherit your work from my relatives? <laughs> I said, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so I heard that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the cliche is, I can do that. And I, my comeback was, but will you? I can make that. Yeah, but will you? But will you? Will you put the time in to do it? Will you let the laundry go for a while? And will you not eat lunch and dinner and breakfast at the regular time to do it? And will you do it no matter what happens? Mm -hmm. The biggest hurdle to overcome as an artist is rejection. Being rejected.
2: How did you overcome rejection?
3: I was just determined that I was going to do it. And what happened is I always had an art gig somewhere. So I wasn't at the mercy of the, the marketplace, and I wasn't at the mercy of individuals. I always had a way to keep the house warm and pay for the bills. And I learned to live frugally, which is what I still do now, which is allows me to have a great art life. And I say I was a saver saved enough money to just get through any kind of emergencies that would come up, but just just being strong-willed about persevering and knowing. I had a guy say to me one time, a brother walked into the library, over, and I was sitting there reading a magazine because I'm in the library often in my neighborhood, and the guy walked up and he said, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, he says, hey man, how's the art world? I said, it's steady. I said, it's still going. I said, there's wonderful stuff <laughs> happening out there. I said, there's some great things going on. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, it must be wonderful to get up every day and know that you can do something that nobody else can do. And, man, what a profound statement. And I journal, so I I couldn't wait to get home to write that statement down. I thought that was a pretty cool thing for him to say. Yeah.
2: What is the one thing you've always wanted to say to people about art?
3: That they should be interested in it and that it's not prohibitive and that it's not, it, it's not going to hurt their budget very much if they can, if they, would just forego, um, you know, two or three dinners out, or, or uh, look at their budgets and say, well, we've got fifty dollars or sixty dollars. They need to know that they and that they can call an artist up and ask them what they have,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and to acquire because I, as I alluded to earlier. It's not just the artwork they have. They have a little piece of someone's life hanging on the wall or in that space, if it's a sculpture or whatever the art object is. So it's it's beyond all of that. And you can, when you talk about the Harlem Renaissance, man, we can go back and track a lot of history through the Harlem Renaissance, not only in painting, but in literature and in music and in, in dance. We can track it back. And painting is very much that. In the, in the days of the cavemen, when with the saber toothed tiger chased them, and they got back to the clan in the cave, they weren't speaking English, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But somebody'd say to, to, to Ook, "What what happened to you today?" However, they said it. Oog goes over to the wall and gets some charcoal <laughs> and draws on the wall with this big this big cat with these big teeth, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of the first ways of communication, mm-hmm. but it's also history when you look at petroglyphs and you look at. uh uh rock uh drawings the Anasazi did some of those in in uh, utah you can go and you can kind of get a history of what happened by just looking mm-hmm. africa their African rock drawings australians every culture had a way of of uh, making a picture of what happened to them or what their what their life was like,
2: yeah you have to mention. You happen to have said in that last statement that when someone owns a piece of art, they own a piece of someone's life. Right, they do. Is that what you would like those who have your work to remember you by more I, than anything?
3: I don't know. I've got a lot of things. I think people, what I really want people to understand about me is that I try to make, try to do something on the planet while I was here that that meant something, and I and I especially want my family to be able to say, well, yeah, my uncle or my brother-in-law or my, you, you know, my brother did this, this, this while he was here. I I really think it's a worthwhile and it's an honorable thing to do to be an artist. And if you get a chance to instruct in it, it it's a wonderful thing because you get a chance to pass that on to other people. I have students now that I taught four years ago who Mm -hmm. are in touch with me, and they ask me about what I'm doing, or they might call with a question. Uh, I just think that it's it's worthy. It's like people who are researchers that we don't know by name necessarily. They just awarded Nobel Prizes for um, science and literature and chemistry and and as and and the chinese artist who's in prison for 11 years because he spoke out and he was talking about free speech those are all worthy things uh myself as an artist I, you know my ego if i have any is all on that in product it's all in that metal sculpture i've made or that painting that i've made or that drawing that i've made and and yes i'd like to have people have that own those works because that kind of keeps you going. That's part of your legacy. There's something about that that's that's really important. It outlives you. I mean, when you think about the Mona Lisa, I mean, geez, how many three hundred years old? Yeah, quite. It's pretty remarkable. Think about that.
2: What's also been uh, been been refreshingly wonderful about hooking up with you and talking with you? You've had so. Some... So marvelous insights like real artists don't Real Artists, artists don't, don't starve. starve,
3: exactly. Okay.
2: If you do the business part, you won't starve. And uh, the one you said the other day to me on the phone, <laughs> being an artist with a paid-off house is a dangerous man. That's
3: right. I'm a dangerous man. Once I get that, when you get, if you have some cash, you don't have to take no trash, mm-hmm. right? right. <laughs> so, And especially as an artist, because people think that you're this kind of frivolous hobbyist. Mm-hmm. It's often because people say you sell, you meet somebody socially, and they say, "Well, what do you do?" You say, "I'm an artist," and they say, "Okay, what's your real job?" <laughs> you say, "That is my real job." Yeah, that is my real job. And I said, I have to do all of the things that 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 anybody. I have to support it financially. I have to practice the discipline. I have to have a place to show at. I have to build audience. I have to market over and over again. I have to do outreach. I have to be in touch. I do the same thing that anybody. If I was selling shoes, I'd be a great shoe salesperson because I do all of that, employ all of those tactics to yeah. sell shoes and to sell more shoes than anybody. And so as a visual artist, I do the same thing. I try to find somebody that's interested. I call it fishing. You just throw your line out there with a lot of hooks on it, and sooner or later, (laughs) sooner or later, you're going to get somebody. Or fishing with a net. You go to the library and read and say, okay, maybe I can use this, this, and this. And you learn guerrilla marketing. And you tell other people about that. And you say, here's what you can do. You can do this, 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 and this, and you never know what it's going Mm -hmm. to turn into. Sometimes you get some action. Sometimes you don't.
2: One thing I know about artists and those Who are in the creative fields? They never retire.
3: Oh no, no, that's the R word is not not permitted. It's not permitted in artistic discipline. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So what's next for you? uh, Just to continue to doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm enjoying. I'm having a great time. I really am having a happy time. I want to make my work. I'd like to pass the word to other people. They can look me up. I have a website. All I have to do is Google me, and they'll find Bob Ragland at freewebs.com. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of information there. I think that one thing artists have to also understand uh, is no one's going to rescue you.
2: Longtime Denver professional artist and former DPS and public television art instructor Bob Raglan has been our guest on this edition. Developing creative youth to support parents has been our subject and, for all of us, how to learn not to be a starving artist. We thank him for being our guest. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.
0: You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to at Bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.